Well, I'm going to pray us in. I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. Father, we come to in Christ Jesus' name. We just thank you, dear Lord, that your word is truth. And I thank you, Father, that your word is going to just permeate us. I thank you that we have a, a just an understanding through the Holy Spirit, Father, because the Holy Spirit is there to teach us all things. And, and Father, we thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that we are going to get something out of this sermon. And Father, we're just going to be able to take it out to the world. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, last week we, we had the you know, it's all about the bod, right? And, but do you know that, that in his body and in his blood, he gave us a couple of things. He gave us the ability for us to be able to have the Holy Spirit teach us something and know it's truth. And we're going to see that tonight, that in 1 John chapter 2, that, that essentially it's just a continuation of 1 John chapter 1. How many people know that, you know, when, when John was sitting there and he said, okay, 1 John chapter, let me go back. Okay, there we go. So 1 John chapter 2, he said, okay, I finished 1 John chapter 1. Now put a period there and go to 1 John chapter 2. No, that's not the way it was. He wrote a letter. It's called an epistle. And epistle in the Greek just means, hey, it was a letter. So when he, had, when he wrote the letter, he started in the beginning and he had the body and he had the conclusion. And what happened was, is about four or 500 years after this, you had St. Jerome. Anybody ever heard of St. Jerome? St. Jerome was commissioned by the Catholic Church to go and basically put all, the, put all the, the chapter and verse together. Also to pull together all of the 66 books of the Bible that we have today. And, and so we know the Bible is truth. But this is the thing. A lot of times... We, we subdivide it out into little bitty sentences. And we all use those little bitty sentences to make our point, right? Well, what we have to understand is that John was speaking to people who had been through this Gnosticistic society. You had people like Plato that would come in and say, oh, we think it's a great idea for you to learn about all gods, that all gods are good, but we really are this two dualism type of person where your body's bad, but your spirit's good. So when you die, it's all going to work out in the end, right? Well, the thing is, is that that negated the need for a savior. So these people would come into the church and they would just tell everybody, hey, Jesus was fine. Go ahead and talk about his teachings, but don't believe in him for your salvation. And see, that was, one of the, that was one of the problems that we saw was that they were trying to negate the body of our Lord and Savior. Well, one of the things that I'm going to bring out tonight is that John kind of took, took it through the body. Now he's talking about our mind. He's talking about how our mind, our will, and our emotions, the, the soul, if you will, our solical realm, how the solical realm actually works together with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see this over and over in 1 John chapter 2. So I named this appropriately, Are You Out of Your Mind? How many people want to be out of their mind? I do. I, our mind needs to be the mind of Christ. We need to know what He is saying, right? So 
I want, I want us to all go over to this first scripture right here that I put up here. John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 should have been this scripture, okay? But because he wrote a letter, he wasn't trying to, to break it into little sentences, but this is the scripture that he should have said. 1 John chapter 2, verse 26 says, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. This was the main reason why he wrote 1 John. So this right here, we get to it about the end of the second chapter, but this was the reason why he wanted people to understand. He wanted them to understand who Jesus was. He wanted them to understand who they were in Jesus. So the next, the next one that we're going to go to, so we're going to start in 1 John chapter verse 1. If y'all have your Bibles, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of follow along with 1 John chapter 2. Um, but I want to kind of pull out some stuff for you here. Um, so you have a helper to keep you from stumbling in the darkness. Do you know that John spent a lot of time using what I call just metaphorical conversation? He did it in in John, he did it in Revelations. He did it in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as well. He used terms like darkness and light. And you sit there and go, your eyes are not open. Well, how many people can see? Amen. Mom's going to see great. Amen. Her eyes are healed in Jesus' name. But the thing is, is he wasn't talking to blind people that was walking around, hey, I can't see stuff, guys. No, that was not it. It was what their heart was seeing. You know, your heart is the actual word when you see heart. It's the word in the Greek called cardia. It's like cardiac. You know, that word actually is a medical term to talk about how our, our heart, our blood vessels, all the things that go with the, the blood pumping, you know, core part of us. Well, when we use the term heart as a metaphor, it means the core belief system. When somebody says you believe with your heart and you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, how many people know that scripture? Well, the thing is, is that you don't actually believe with the blood pumping part of your, your chest. It doesn't happen that way. But see, what we have to understand is that our heart, our belief system, that this thing is, it is a part of our internal mind, our will, and our emotions. So it says here in 1 John chapter 2, it says, My little children, still some metaphors here, because we know that he's, he's not speaking to little children here. These things I write to you so that you may not sin. This word sin is going to be used a couple times here, and it's harmonato, and it means to miss the mark. It means that if I'm shooting an arrow and I'm trying to hit the back door back there, but I hit the back wall, that means I missed it, Right? Well, repentance is kind of the opposite of this word, or it's the, it's the antithesis of making this corrected. Repentance means that we turn, right? So if I'm shooting towards the back door and I hit the wall, I need to come over a couple inches. I remember me and dad went and, and was deer hunting years ago, and we took, these, we took our, our guns and we had these sights and we were putting it in, and... I had this gun and the sights were off of it. And I was about two to four inches off every single time. You know what dad told me? He said, just aim two inches over. 
You know why? Because I was just using regular eyesight. I, wasn't, I didn't have a scope or anything like that. There was nothing to, to actually put in. It was more about my eye than it was about anything else. Well, you know what? I shot a deer. And I was probably two or f- to four inches off, but it still killed the deer, right? But metanoia is the word repentance. It just means that we turn. Well, when I'm talking about sin here, if I'm in a contest and I start trying to shoot the bullseye and I don't hit the bullseye, do I win the prize? No. That's all sin means here is that I'm not going to get the benefit of hitting the mark. So we have to understand that there are things that disqualify us and it has to do with us. So if I shoot the arrow, whose fault is it? It's my fault. It's not Ray's fault. I'd love to blame Ray if the arrow went right past him and Ray goes and blows on it. Well, Ray blew on it. Ray, what are you doing? But see, this is the thing that we have to understand is that if we, we don't share in the prize if we don't think right. If we don't do right, because we need to understand who we are. And it says, if anyone sins in verse one, it says, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sin. And not only, uh, not only for ours, but for the whole world. This word propitiation means to atone, make payment. This is another part that as I was doing this, I thought to myself, I wished somebody had told me this years ago, but this is something that popped out this week. It means amendment. This word amendment in the Greek, it actually connects with the fact that it's an additional design to improve something or someone. So you have to understand that a propitiation is not just, I paid a debt. How many people know that if I just paid a debt, then I don't have the debt anymore. But there was an actual, I paid a debt off and now I've got a benefit. You know, that's something that you don't see a lot of times. This word propitiation actually says that he paid something and we also got a benefit with it. So that's the goodness of God is that not only did he pay, he went beyond the payment. He he stepped over it. He gave more than he had to. And so it says right here, it says, now by this, in verse 3, it says, now by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Verse 5 says, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. I want you to understand something here is that Jesus paid it all. He paid over so that we could walk like him. It means that if I had just had my payment, right, I would still be poor. So so if I owe something on my car, you know, and we're paying a payment on the car, the moment that I pay the car off, do I have any value? Probably not on my car. My car is a 2013. I probably can't give it away. I got to keep that sucker running. But the thing is, is that there's a benefit beyond just the sin. 
being paid for. That means that now I can walk like him. I can talk like him. I can walk into the Father's, into the Father's domain and I can command things to happen. I can use the name of Jesus. That means that the debt was paid and then I went on to do greater works. We talked about that on Sunday is that we walk around and we do greater works. Do you know that a lot of times when we do greater works, a lot of times people go, well, I don't know if that was any greater. Do you know that I see lots of ministries, I see lots of people and they do lots of good things. But do you know that the things that people are known for are the how many people how many people did we feed today? How many people did we clothe today? How many people did we put up in housing? You know, all that's good, and I have no problem with it. I think that's a really good thing. I also think though that the greater works are not that. Because that's not what he said about the greater works. The greater works is when I pull somebody up out of their mire. And I no longer just pay their debt off. Do you know that if I go feed somebody today, they're going to be hungry tomorrow? You know, if I go clothe somebody today, there's going to be a day when they're going to wear out the clothes. There's going to be a day when I go and I, I pay for their housing that I can't pay for it anymore. And they're not going to be able to live there any longer. Do you know the old adage is, is that you, you catch a fish and you give it to a man he eats for a day. But you teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime. Well, you know what? Jesus wants us to do the greater works so that we pay something beyond our own ability. Because you know what? This wallet looks pretty fat, but I got kids and they take all of my money. (laughs) And I'm not able to actually pay everybody's bills. Remember that when you get a job. You know, I think it's funny because Caleb goes and he buys something and then I notice that he takes the receipt and he slides it over there and it's like, hey, dad, can you send me the Venmo money? You know, that's great. He knows that I can pay the bill, but there's going to be a day when I'm going to say no. Well, you know what? The Holy Spirit doesn't say no. The Holy Spirit says, I'm going to take you beyond where you're at. Well, let me ask you something. If you've got no peace, then you've got to go beyond peace. You've got to go into happiness. You've got to go into the, into the joy of the Lord, right? Well, the joy of the Lord is not just meh. See, most people think that, well, if, if the Holy Spirit's going to do something for me, that, well, I'm okay. Do you know that the joy of the Lord is something that continues on? It's not a momentary relief. It continues in 1 John chapter 2, verse 10, it says, He who loves his brother abides and lives in the light. Remember what the commandments was? It was love God and love your brother as yourself, right? You know, I think the world actually loves their, their brother exactly like they love themselves. They, most people don't love themselves. Most people hate themselves. Most people take drugs because of depression. They're already in the hole. You know that I don't think it was any different than back then. They just didn't have the good drugs, right? Everybody was drinking and doing, you know, whatever drugs they had. But at the end of the day, you know, man, I thought this was the craziest thing. Heather and I was talking about this and there was all these people and they were like, oh yeah, well, everybody should be on depression medicine. What? If, 
they're assigning depression onto people that had a bad day, that had a bad week. Well, guess what? If you got a bad week, let's go get the joy of the Lord and let's put it in your heart so that you can go beyond where you're at. But if you keep just digging a hole, you know what happens eventually? You got nothing but walls around you. You can't get out of that hole. And see, that's what I want you to understand is that Jesus himself came to get us out of the hole. Don't keep digging it. It's pretty bad when the church is full of people who are on depression medicine, that are taking drugs, they're addicted to narcotics. The problem that we have is that we're not living in the joy of the Lord. Amen. And it says, he who loves his brother abides, it means lives in the light. It means they live in the understanding. They live in, in knowing the truth. And it says, and there, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Really, it's just blinded his mind. It's blinded his understanding. You know, um, I had sent this thing out back in 2020 when all the pandemic stuff was happening and I'd put on Facebook about people you know I think it was in Psalms it was talking about that you know that we don't live by strife and by fear but we live by the Lord and so I was I just put this thing out saying hey there's a lot of people their prison is living in strife and fear you know we don't have to you can just say no you know, it's easy to just do nothing. Amen. The problem is, is that most of the time we're doing something, trying to, trying to alleviate some sort of idea about nothing. And I'll give you an example, okay? So, you know, back during the pandemic, how many people were scared? Come on, y'all can't lie to me. I was scared! You what? Ray wasn't. Ray was... Okay, some of y'all, I'm not going to let that go, all right? Listen, if you work in the hospital. If you, the thing is, we had people dying around us. We actually had people dying around us. Do you know what I was afraid of mostly? Is giving other people something. That's what I was worried about the most. It had nothing to do with me. Had to do with whether or not I was going to kill somebody else off. I had one of my best friends... Uh, Mike Julian died just and you know one of the things that that the Lord kept showing me was that is that my fear only affected me my fear only affected me it didn't affect the people that was around me like there was not one bit of fear that I could put out to anybody that was going to stop the situation so I just need to do nothing. I just need to, li to live in the Lord and not live in this idealism that was being pumped into me by the world. Do you know that in every situation, we have the ability to open our eyes up and not let it be darkened by somebody else? Amen? Amen. Let me make sure I'm flipping good here. All right? So we're talking about learning, growing, and perceiving. 
Alright? And so in 1 John 2.12 it says here, And I write you little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His namesake. That means that Jesus Himself died for our sins. Verse 13 says, And I write you fathers, because you have, you have known Him, and Him from the beginning. I write you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Now, there's a couple things I've done here, and I want to make sure that you guys understand why I've done this, okay? And it says here, Your sins are forgiven of you for His namesake. I write you fathers because you have known Him. And they put this, who is, and I I don't even know why they did that because it's not in the Greek. It says, from the beginning. This word beginning is archis, and it means the first. It means fathers... Knew him first. Not from the beginning. Nobody. How many people was here when God created the heavens and the earth? Anybody? Anybody? You know, the thing is, is that in this building right here, there are people that are much older than me that knew Jesus first. I can point to, I can point to Reba and Charlie. I can point to, to mom and dad, and I can say, hey, you guys knew Jesus before I did, right? So we have to understand that knowing something and being something has to do with when, where, and why. So it says right here, it says, uh, because, let, me, let me start back over here. Because you have known him from the beginning, you've known him first, I write to you. Young men, because you overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him from the first. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. See, I want you to understand something is that John is talking in a metaphorical term about children, about strong young men and about fathers because he's trying to set up a hierarchy. How many people know that you need a hierarchy in a good in a good place, right? You need the people who know something so that you can go talk to them. You need the people who don't know anything to be able to go talk to someone. So he's telling the little children, the people who didn't know Jesus, that didn't know God before, go find those fathers. Your sins are forgiven of you. If you have somebody come into the church and tell you, oh, you don't need Jesus, go, no, I need Jesus. And go find a father. You know, when Caleb and Kaylee were younger, I used to tell them, if a stranger came around, come find us. You know why? Because if they tried to do anything to my kids, I would stomp their face out. That's what would happen. I will beat them until I feel good about it. But see, this is the problem that we have in our society is the fact that most people go, who's the youngest, most prettiest? Even though they don't know anything, let's go put them out there in the front. Oh, let's let them dance around and have a good time. Do you know that that the reason why the young people are doing this is because they want to negate wisdom. And this is one of the problems that we have is that the moment it gets hard, they turn and they run. And so children learn. They are new and impressionable. We have to protect the children. Those children could be 96 years old. Okay? Somebody could get 
saved today and they could be 80. Do you know that we need to protect them? We don't need to just, we need to look at the fruit of where they're at in their Christian walk. Do you know there's some people who they accepted Jesus when they were younger and they're 90 years old and they're still a kid. They never grew beyond their little, their little area. They said, I accepted Jesus the rest of their life. They were going through and they just said, I guess I'm going to die and go to heaven one day. You know, we need to understand their fruit before we actually start calling them father, making them wise men in the church. Young men, they overcome. You know, they're strong, they're capable, they're mature Christians. Do you know that the mature Christians are the ones that are going to stand up and fight? You know, some of those may be fathers. So I'm not going to, I'm not just going to say, oh, well, there's fathers and there's young men. You may be 96 years old. You've, you've got it. You used to got the fight. You may be a father of the church. You may be a father to people. And you may be going in and fighting for these young people. See, you need to be an overcomer and help others overcome. And so fathers, the very last stair step here, right? Fathers teach. They, they disciple the young people. You know, I think this is very important because we had, there was some point in time where we quit discipling our children. And I mean that in a generalistic sense. I disciple my kids. If my kids decide that they're going to go to hell, they're going to have to fight me is what they're going to have to do. My grandkids, I'm going to tell you, I am going to overcome for them. This is the thing. We had people who said, oh, kids, yeah, send them to church. We're not going to go. We, we've had, you know, I actually had people I worked with that said, well, I don't go to church because I don't have kids. Uh, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I mean, how many people know that if you don't renew your mind, you're just going to follow what the world does. And I watch them do it every single day. I, they follow the world in their decisions. They follow the world in their relationships. But see, the thing is, is that we need to understand that if we're going to have a, the next generation to come up and, and follow Jesus, we need to be fathers, even to those that aren't our, our actual natural kids. Amen? We need to be like these two parents here, holding up the shield, getting shot for them. Amen. I love technology. Okay. The, the church will chase the world if they're not listening to the Holy Spirit. We're seeing it all the time right now. The Methodist church is about to break up into multiple different pieces because there's people that are taking over. There's... LGBTQ people that are taken over. There are woke people that are taken over. The church is in trouble for a lot of denominations. And we're going to see it break up into little bitty pieces. And one of the things that, that I really find to be just heartbreaking is that some of these churches, like the Methodist church, they actually were Wesleyans. Wesley was filled with the Holy Ghost, went around, I mean, laying hands on people. This man was raised from the dead. Do you know that we, we have a problem because they forgot all that? Because, you know, we think of time as, oh, well, if it was 100 years ago, well, that was a long time ago. Well, do you know that 
That was only a century ago. We need to know where these things are happening and how fast some of these organizations are going down so that we don't follow those patterns. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves, this word love is agapo. It means to hold dear or to give favor to. So do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone holds dear the world, the love of the Father, so the Father himself gave us a a picture of what this kind of love is. He sent Jesus, his only son, to die for us. He chose us when we were unchoosable. So this kind of love, this kind of love the world doesn't even understand. The the world loves the, let me go put the, the pretty little thing up there. Let me go put all the people that they look great and they can sing, but they don't know nothing. Let's go put them on stage. Let's let them talk into people's lives. It's one of the reasons why you go on YouTube, TikTok, whatever it is that that you see some of these kids following, Instagram, and they've got 20 million followers. And you're like, you say nothing. You know, I've watched some of these things. They literally will say one day something that contradicts what happened the, the day before. And everybody just loves them. You know, I think a lot of times people are looking for the, the nicest, brightest firework. You light that sucker, oh, it's going to blow up. And when it blows up, it's going to make a large bang. And then you give it a little bit of time and it destroys itself. And I think that's what the world is looking for, is they're not looking for the long-term rocket. They're looking for that explosion that happens. So right here it says in verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father but of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does not the will of God abides forever. This, so the world definition is, from our fleshly perspective, is what we see, hear, taste, smell, and feel. It's the system in which we have around here. How many people are cold? How many people are hot? How many people are just right? You've been overruled. Sorry. But but this is the thing, though, is that the world system is what we know. It's It's the thing that screams at us the most. You know, Smith Wigglesworth said that he actually, towards the end of his life, I was, I was reading this book that I think his son-in-law wrote, and he was talking about how his, about his son-in-law was talking about how he actually perceived things in the spirit more than he did in the flesh. Now, anybody who's ever read Smith Wigglesworth, I, I may be just talking to the Word of Faith folks, but anybody heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Oh, Awesome. Well, I, I was glad because I was like, well, how many people am I actually talking to that knows who Smith Wigglesworth is? Um, I will tell you this. He actually spent so much time with God that he didn't even realize what was happening in the world. He would tell people, don't bring a paper into my house. Do you know that, that there, are, there are people... 
that if we would just allow ourselves to get into there, we would perceive things in the spirit that would be so much more real than what is happening in our what we see here, taste, smell, and feel. So in in First John two eighteen it says, "Little children, it is the last hour, and you've heard that Antichrist is coming, and now many Antichrists have come, but which we know that it is the last hour." Verse nineteen says, "And then when out, they went out from us, but when they were when they but when they were not of of us, for if we had for if they been with us, they would have continued with us." And I took out the little bracket box because this next statement has nothing to do with them going out. But they, that they may have, let me back up. All right, I'm struggling, man. So it says here, um, verse 19, Then they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been with us, they would have continued with us but that they might be manifest. That means to become known. It means that, that they were going to be known anyway. If they weren't following what Jesus was talking to, to the body about, there was going to be a distinct difference between the Antichrist and Christ. And it says here, and it says that none of them were of us. So it means that even before when you thought, oh, such and such, he looks really good, he talks real good, but then all of a sudden he opens up his mouth and you're like, whoa, antichrist. You know, one of the things that I see happening in our, in our society today is that people who have been Christians or people that their kids have, they have been Christians and their kids are coming up, they're starting to take on things like universalism, doctrinal deviation, we're starting to see Christian deconstruction. Does anybody know what Christian deconstruction is? It's basically when somebody has been a Christian and they decide, oh, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore because, you know, I think it's perfectly fine for people to be homosexual and be in the church. Okay? That is the number one deconstruction uh, in the church today. They're like, well, we should love people who are gay, LGBT, whatever. The answer is yes, we should love them. But where they're getting off is that they they don't truly love them. They want to just, what they want to do is they want to come back and go, "I I don't want us to have anything between us. I just want us to love on each other. And And even if you kill yourself, even if you maim yourself, even if you go through and and." Commit suicide. Do you know that, that that's not love? You know, if truth and love are supposed to go together, they're missing one part of the love there. So it ain't actually love. Abortion. That's another big one that's having, uh, that's deconstructing churches and people in the churches. And the reason why I bring this up is because they're, the number one thing I get asked is, well, can people be, can, you know, can people be saved if they are, you know, if they're gay or if they're trans or whatever? And the answer is, yeah, you've got, you can be trans and you can get saved. But you need to actually go through with something beyond just, well, God loves you. 
they're going to have to get beyond that. You can't clean a fish before you catch it, right? That's a problem. So we do need to get trans and homosexuals and people who have had abortion. We need to get them saved. But at the end of the day, we got to come in and tell them the truth and they ain't going to like it. Well, you're just mean. No, I love you. You know, there's been plenty of times my kids have done something and I've had to sit down with them and I said, I don't like doing this, but I'm going to have to because I'm dad. See, that's why we need fathers in the church. See, fathers and mothers, same thing. We just need them. We need people to stand up and go, you are saved, but you can lose your salvation if you continue down this path because eventually you'll do what these people did. The universalists and the deconstructionists and the doctrinal deviators. And eventually you'll get to where you don't even know who Jesus is and you don't know why Jesus is and you don't know how you even accepted Jesus. Because you're going to need to know that you have sin and that he paid for your sin. And you got to change. I got to change every day. I don't like it. Verse 21, it says, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. See, this is the problem. Everybody knows truth. When truth is spoken, everybody says, yes, that in their heart, they go, that's truth. Some of the people, they go, well, I don't want to say it out loud because um, I want to suppress the truth. But everybody knows there's objective truth. How many people knows that if we, if God, if we didn't have God, everybody could go around killing people, murdering, maiming, doing all this other stuff? The answer is yes. They already do it. But the whole thing is, is that objective truth is when we know that there is a standard. And so 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Who is a liar but, but he who denies Jesus Christ? He is the Antichrist. This word Antichristos, it means the opposition, the opponent of the Messiah. And he who denies the Father and the Son is the Antichrist. Verse 23 says, Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, so it means, hey, if all that stuff is true, this is, this is what you need to understand. Let that abide in you which you have heard from the first that you've heard about Jesus. Don't take all this doctrine that's coming in. We need to understand the doctrine that is being written, that we are reading today. And it says here, it says, Therefore, let that abide, in verse 24, Let that that abides in you, which that you've heard from the beginning, if you had heard from the beginning, abides, that means it lives in you, you also live in the Son and in the Father. See, we have to understand that when we know truth and we live in truth, that means it lives in us and we live in it. You can't tell the difference between dusty and truth because dusty is living in the truth. Now, can dusty tell a lie? Absolutely, dusty can tell a lie. But the thing that you need to understand is, is that you know what's true. If Dusty's up here telling lies, you're going to go, wait a minute, that's, that's a lie. Quit telling lies, Dusty. In fact, I want y'all to 
to tell me if I have an issue. I want you to walk up to me and go, well, that's a lie. Okay. Because if I go and, I, and, and you prove it to me in the Word, I, I'm, I'm going to believe the Word. I'm not going to believe a lie if I can find it in the Word. Now, is there times where I might not know everything that's in the Word? Absolutely. You know, there's been plenty of times where I've made mistakes and the Holy Spirit come back and go, that wasn't right. How many people's had that happen? You know, little Jim, BCF, years ago, he was up there, he's making some really good points, and all of a sudden he goes, well, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness, it says in the Bible. And we were, we were all sitting there and going, and Pastor Jim comes up after and said, well, that was good preaching, except for that last part. That's not in the Bible. And he goes, I knew it after I said it. The Holy Spirit said no, but it was just okay to keep going. <laughs> Well, you know, you have, to, you have to go, yeah, I was wrong. So we, we need to understand that we live and abide in truth. And truth has to live and abide in us. This one right here is pretty cool. Verse 25, and it says, and this, and this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. This word eternal is aenos, and it means perpetual also used for past time, present time, and future time as well. It means that when you accepted Jesus, He gave you eternal life. That means that before you were born again, the present time that you're in, and when you go, God sees you differently. How many people knows that we gave God amnesia the moment that we, that we said, Jesus is Lord? How many people is glad that we gave God amnesia? God decided to throw our sins from the east as far as it is from the west. It means that it doesn't come back. So God decides things to do with us. Because if he didn't, we would always be sinners. So no Jesus, no Messiah, no Messiah, no life eternal. It means you wouldn't have that past, present, and future promise that is happening. So past, present, and future is wiped away in God's eyes. We have this eternal life, and eternal life is a new life. How many people are so glad that I got a new life? Amen. Amen. Last, amen, double amen in the back row back there. I'm going to tell you what. Preach it from the back row. So last slide, guys. We're landing this plane. But I want you to understand that God wants you to change your mind about who you are. He wants you to change your mind about your eternal life. Because if you're still holding on to past, then you need the past to be past at last. So children should not be ashamed. They're in right standing with their father. 1 John chapter 2, verse 26 through 29, it says, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing, this word right here is only used, the anointing, okay, I think I just got it up there. It says, it says, these things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing, that word is charisma. How many people have known people who are charismatic? Even the word uses charismatic, right? They use charismatic for people who are like, you know, they're, they're out there and they're, woo, 
But you know this word charismatic has nothing to do with being a type A personality running around on the stage and going, hallelujah. That's not charismatic. That's what we decide charismatic was. But charisma is a special endowment from the Holy Spirit. There's some people that they have what we call charisma and they don't have the Holy Spirit at all. All they have is a bunch of energy. But see, what we have to understand is that we have a special endowment that was given when we accepted Jesus through the Holy Spirit. He lives on the inside of us. We've become a new creature in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it means that our spirit and the Holy Spirit got together and reconfigured us on the inside. You can't tell the difference between our spirit and the Holy Spirit. First, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says that we heard the word, that we believed the word, and then we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I've said this multiple times. My dad sold uh, meat. It was packaged in plastic. You could take that stuff, you could throw it into a mud hole. You could still pull it out. You wash it off. The meat's still good on the inside as long as it you know, didn't sit out all day. But see, the Holy Spirit did the exact same thing to our spirit. He came in, reconfigured us, sealed us. You know, it says it five times in the Bible. Jesus actually says it in Luke chapter 17. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, it says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we were sealed with His Holy Spirit. That means that you have an anointing on your life. This is not just something that I made up in order to have a good little preaching. You guys need to know that you have been endowed and endued by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says, uh, but the anointing, this endowment by the Holy Spirit, which you have received from him lives in you and you do not need anyone to teach you about what truth is. It says right here, and it says, but the same anointing, the same Holy Spirit teaches you concerning all things and is true. And is not a lie. And just, just as it is taught to you, you will abide in him. Verse 28 says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, you will have confidence not to be ashamed before him at his coming. Do you know that there's a lot of people, and we find this in a lot of denominations, because they teach nothing but Old Testament to their people. They walk around going, you go, are you going to heaven? And you go, I sure hope so. You know what? If you say, I sure hope so, then you, then you need to know so. Because knowing so means that you can walk in to every situation knowing, heck, if, if I die today, if the Holy Spirit, if God comes back today, if Jesus comes back, I'm going to heaven. It's an assurance that we have. And it says here, verse 29, it says, Little children abide in him, that when he appears that you have this confidence not to be ashamed before him and his coming. This is not being ashamed like, well, I did something bad. This right here is saying that I know he is taking me. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices, this word practice is actually poeo. And it, it's like where we get a, a poem from. And it means to do or to live means don't just practice it 
You know, I love the little meme that has, and it's got the little Yoda guy, and, and it's like, you know, don't try, do. We need to live it. We don't need to practice it. You know, doctors practice medicine. You know why? Because they don't always know. We can know and have assurance that Jesus Christ has saved us. Amen? Amen. And it says, everyone who lives in righteousness, this word righteous is a Greek word that tells us about right standing or justified, just as if I had not sinned. See, righteousness means that I'm in right standing with God. God doesn't see me. He doesn't know that I've sinned. And all he sees is Jesus on the inside of me. He's got those Jesus goggles that we talked about the other day. He puts on the Jesus goggles and he goes, hey, Dusty, you look pretty good. It was like, well, I sinned. And he goes, huh? No, you look pretty good. I I love you. You know how many times I've thought to myself, uh, back in 2008, and I've told people this, you know, I had such a mixture in my heart that I got saved every day. If I sinned, if I, if me and Heather had a crossword, if I had a, if, you know, if I talked to dad and I didn't feel like that we had had a good conversation, if I went to work and I cussed somebody out under my breath, you know, how many people's been like, that? do you know that every single night I sat there? And I cried my eyes out and I said, Lord, just save me one more time. You know what happened? The Lord brought my brother-in-law along and said, go listen to Andrew Womack. And I started listening to Andrew Womack. And after a couple of weeks, after a couple of months, after a couple of years, you couldn't take my salvation from you. I could cuss somebody out. I could kill somebody right now. I know I'm going to heaven because I believe in Jesus. See, if it's what we do and not what we believe, then yeah, we're all messed up. Because we would have to abide by every law in order. You'd have to abide by the Jewish law. You'd have to abide by the laws of the United States. Heck, I can't even abide by the laws of the United States driving down the road. I'm five, ten miles an hour over. Don't tell the police, all right? (laughs) They know. You know, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm going to bring out here is that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, 22, it says, For all the promises of God are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. To the glory of God through us. God gets glory through us. You know, my son is about to get Roho something another, you know, Rokappas, and I mean, he's already been... In, I mean, he's got a, a 30 on the ACT and, you know, he's he's got a 4.0 GPA and all. You know, I live vicariously through him because I didn't even have half of that. You know, I look and I'm proud. You know, the glory of God is just, hey, I'm proud of you. How many people want God to be proud of you? He is. He's proud of you. See, if we walked around knowing that God was proud of us. We'd start doing stuff that makes him proud of us. How many people go, huh, I want to do something that makes God proud of me? Amen. And it says here in verse 21, Now he who establishes us uh, with you in Christ has anointed us. The same word means the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit uh, in God. Verse 22, who also has sealed us 
and given us the spirit in our heart as a guarantee. We have a guarantee. So the truth is known by those who renew their mind and listen to the Holy Spirit. Romans 2.12, I love this one. I mean, Romans 12.2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. You know, as I'm closing this out, you are anointed by the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the, the Holy Spirit himself... He anointed you. He brought you to a place of understanding who you are in Christ Jesus if you renew your mind. You know, it's kind of hard to not to know how to put something together unless you've read the instruction book, right? Well, the same thing is with the Bible. Same thing is with our Christianity. We start walking around. We start living in Christianity. We need something to tell us. It's called the Word of God. How many people knows if you just walked around with the Word of God and you applied it, like Matthew chapter 6 said, where you seek you first the kingdom of God and all, the, all these things shall be added unto us? You know, he went he told everybody. He said, hey, all these people are listening to him. And he says, he told him, he said, you can be arraigned with clothing like Solomon. Just look at the birds of the field. Let's look at the flower lilies. Do you know that the reason why we don't see that kind of stuff in our life is because we don't get into the Word and renew our mind. We're being conformed to this world. This water is being conformed by this bottle. You tear the water out, the water falls on the floor. But I could transform this water into a solid just by putting it in the freezer. You know that we transform our mind, our will, and our emotions every single day that we put this in. Now, if I don't put, if I don't put the Word in, am I still saved? Yes. If I believe that Jesus is Lord, I'm still saved. The problem is, is that I'm going to live in hell until I go to heaven. And that's the problem that the Christians have. I think it was, was it Hagen that said that a Christian can have anything that he believes for? Even hell. You know, there's a lot of people that they they believe for hell. You go, oh, they don't believe for hell. It's like, you know that most people pray like this. God, they're bad to me. They're always bad to me. Well, you know, Mark 11, 23, 24 says that whatever we say and whatever we believe, you can have it. Well, you know what? That's why people are living in hell. On earth, because they are believing things that are not true about themselves, and they are having it every single day. They're making their mount, their molehill a mountain. Besides speaking under their mountain, it was just a rock, and they just keep adding and adding and adding. And man, it's Mount Everest at some point. You know that we need to understand that in Him and the truth of His Word. We can be transformed in our mind to where we don't speak doubt and unbelief to our situation, but we speak His Word, and His Word is life, and His life will change everything. Amen? All right, well, everybody head bowed and eyes closed. Father, we come to you in Christ Jesus' name. I just thank you, dear Lord, that we have hearers that hear your Word tonight, Father, and that we're going to... We're going to make our words truth. 
that we're going to make it truth not only for ourselves, but we're going to make it truth for the people that are around us. That we're not just going to pander to people or to give people what they want to hear, but we're going to say the truth in every situation. And we'll see that change will come from truth. And Father, I just pray in Jesus' name as we go forth, help each and every one of us to go out into our world and change it, to see our world differently than what the world sees itself so that we can tell it exactly what it should do and we should have it removed of all the the hurt and the anger and the strife and that it's just going to leave perfect diamonds. And Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that you're giving us this peace. You're helping us to live our lives in a way that we bring peace to others. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.